0: you celestial bells would you join together in prayer father thank you so much for the opportunity we've been able to gather this morning father music speaks directly to the heart as well as to the mind this morning we have been encouraged by music from the instruments the handbells and father very soon by our voices joining together And I pray that as we sing the songs in this time of worship, that they'll not be mere words, but Father, from the depths of our heart, meaning lifted up as an aroma of praise to you. And that's our desire, to give you all honor and glory in this time. And I pray that through the course of this service, you will bless and encourage every single participant. Father, we would understand, as the audience of one, we are here to serve you, to honor you. I pray at the same time that the power of your spirit would be upon us and that, Father, we would listen and we would hear what you have to say through the words of the songs as well as your word, the message, and that, Father, you would speak to us in the areas of our life that we need to hear and that we would respond. We know there's a lot going on in the world, and, Father, we know that part of that has to do with what's going on in our lives. We ask for your comfort and care for many in our congregation that are Uh, facing uh, difficulties and i ask for the encouragement and father as a church body that we would encourage one another through the conversation and compassionate care god through it all your presence is most important as we join together in this time of corporate worship and as we meet one-on-one with individuals may you be honored and glorified your body edified and father the world seen the light of the Gospel of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we welcome you to First Baptist Church, Sun City West, and if this is your very first time to be here, you've never filled out a guest card, we'd love for you to take that guest card in the pew in front of you and fill it out in its entirety. When you leave today, you just drop it in one of our offering boxes. We would certainly appreciate doing that so that we could acknowledge your being with us right now I'm going to ask you if you would to stand we're going to have a time of corporate worship and I pray that you'll sing from the depths of your heart we pray in the silence of this day Lord we thank you for your presence for what you bring to us what you teach us what you allow us to do thank you Lord for this day for the message that is to come it enrich our hearts keep us focused on you Lord Lord let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you O oh, Lord my strength and my redeemer we love you Lord and we thank you for loving us in your holy name we ask it Amen Amen My name is Dan, and I'm from Baltimore.
1: My name is Ellen, and I'm from Baltimore.
2: My name is Avrielle and I'm from Baltimore. Sometimes, church planners say they're in the business of starting something from nothing.
1: But that's not really true. We're able to do missions today because of the generations who came before us.
2: We Southern Baptists are all part of a family tree. Come to my city, and you can see just how deep the roots of that tree go.
1: In Baltimore, those roots go back to at least 1850. That's when Annie Armstrong
0: was born. Right down the street from our church plant, that's where Miss Annie lived and worked.
2: She didn't invent Southern Baptist missions, but she did change how we do missions.
0: Baltimore
1: is where Annie led the way in forming the Women's Missionary Union.
0: It's where she helped launch the offering that funds Southern Baptist mission work around the world.
2: And it's also where she helped launch the offering that funds Southern Baptist mission work inside North America.
1: Before Annie Armstrong died, Southern Baptists named that offering after her.
0: Now, the Annie Armstrong Easter offering helps put people like me on the mission field.
1: I live in the same city as Annie Armstrong, but I don't live in the same world. She wrote letters,
2: I do Facebook.
0: She supported a handful of missionaries. We support thousands.
1: Obviously, not much is left of the Baltimore or the world that Annie knew.
2: I'm a descendant
0: of Annie Armstrong.
1: I'm a descendant of Annie Armstrong.
2: I'm a descendant of Annie
1: Armstrong.
0: And you are too. You don't have to live in Baltimore to be part of her family.
1: If you're Southern Baptist, and you're praying, giving, going so that others might know Jesus, you're on that family tree.
2: You are a descendant of Annie Armstrong, and that means you have her DNA.
0: Annie Armstrong had a passion for people, for missions, and for Jesus.
1: And we owe it to those who came before us and to those who come after us to keep that passion strong. Annie Armstrong built something big for future generations.
2: And now God wants to use us to do the same thing.
1: It's up to me and my generation. It's up to me and my generation.
2: It's up to me and my generation to do whatever it takes, just like Annie. Just like Annie. Just like Annie.
3: That you are considering what God would have you give toward that special offering. There are offering envelopes in the pew racks in front of you, and you'll see from the bulletin how much we have received toward our goal of thirteen thousand four hundred and twelve. I know you stood earlier, but I'm going to ask that you stand again as we sing together. God will make a way. Learning to lean and tears chorus. then i'll let you be seated before we sing his eyes on the sparrow would
4: you stand
2: church family. Our scripture reading for this morning is from Philippians chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. Please follow along on the screens as we reveal the word of God. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Our hearts are blessed by this reading, and we rejoice knowing that these are the words of the Lord. you. Mm-hmm.
0: well it was a great sixty-fourth birthday for Mel Fisher Mel Fisher was uh... was a treasure hunter he owned the uh... treasure salvadoras incorporated and for seventeen years he had been looking for that spanish galleon a seventeen years searching for that particular galleon that uh... uh had so much treasure on it. It had sunk in 1622 in a hurricane, somewhere between Havana and Key West. For 17 years, he searched and searched, longing, looking forward to trying to find that amazing treasure. And then one day, about 40 miles west of Key West, he found it. An amazing find. They estimate that uh, there was about 150 pounds of gold. There were 900 silver bars. I believe there was just under a hundred gold bars, plus gold chains and many other kinds of things. They estimated the value in today's market somewhere between 400 and 450 million dollars. Not a bad find in 18, uh, 1985. In fact, uh, who wouldn't? want to find a treasure like that we're all looking for those great treasures the question is that the most important treasure well for mel probably so (laughs) he was so excited about that but jesus spoke about treasure when he spoke in matthew chapter 6 verses 19 and 20 he said do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and venom destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven there is an understanding that as believers in Christ our goal is to build up treasures in heaven it's not a boastful thing it's not an egotistical thing it is a scriptural mandate to do everything we can to look to the eternal future and not that which will not follow us when we go into the presence of God so then the question comes to mind what's life's greatest treasure especially for the journey well in the first part of our message today finishing up next Sunday I want to talk specifically about that what is life's greatest treasure that can be found well, it's not silver and it's not gold. It's not something that you can find in a bank. It's not something that has to be protected from thieves. It's not something that you can put aside to dig up later. No, rather, it is free and it is available to everyone to have for themselves. Life's greatest treasure. And over the course many years multiple millions of people have found that treasure and they have claimed it for themselves and yet in the midst of that wealth it has not diminished one iota there's as much of it today as there was at the very beginning life's greatest treasure i'm talking about the treasure of the grace of god that comes only in jesus christ the new testament calls it the new birth salvation it's the greatest treasure and for most of us here today we say well pastor i i have that i know that i i have it deep within my heart somebody did pray for me and through the course of time Somewhere along the line, I received that treasure and I claimed it for myself. But there are so many others who haven't. And even within what we call the church, there are those that have mistook the understanding of what that great treasure is. Let me just say that Life's greatest treasure cannot be acquired by good works. That's what Paul's saying here. He warned the believers at Philippi, he said, Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus. And put no confidence in the flesh though I myself have reason for such confidence that section of scripture tells us that we cannot acquire life's greatest treasure by works by the time that we put in by some kind of a righteous living that always is imperfect Here we find a strong warning to the church. It seems to indicate, as uh, the Greek scholar A.T. Robertson wrote, that the dissension within the church at Philippi had been complicated by what we call the Judaizers, who insisted that, one, if they are going to be saved, they must first submit to circumcision. You see in the early church those who taught uh, a combination of God's grace and human effort were called Judaizers the word Judaizer comes from a Greek word and it literally means to live according to Jewish customs so in essence somebody who was from Judaism a Jew who may have come to know Christ but felt like they still were under the law and still had to follow the Jewish law in order to have that salvation it was a combination Christ is good but you have to add this on and it's a combination together in order to have life's greatest treasure the word appears in Galatians chapter 2 verse 14 when the Apostle Paul describes how he confronted Peter for forcing the Gentile Christians to Judaize, as he called it. In other words, Peter was saying, well, we have some, some folks that have come down from Jerusalem, and yeah, I, I need to separate myself because there is strict, strict contamination laws that I have to follow. Paul looked at Peter in the midst of all of those people and said, you know what? These are my words, not his. You're being a hypocrite. (laughs) You're, You're saying Jesus is all you need, but then you come and say, well, but you need to follow these strict guidelines. And that, Paul said, is not what the greatest treasure is. A Judaizer taught that in order for a Christian to truly be right with God, he must conform to the Mosaic law. And circumcision in particular was promoted as necessary for salvation. The Gentiles, they almost, in a sense, had to become Jewish proselytes first, and then they would come to an understanding of accepting Christ. That's basically what they were teaching. And Paul said in, uh, in verses 2 through 4, he said, for it is we who are the circumcision. And he's talking about the believers in Christ, not talking about the Jewish individual. In other words, our, our circumcision came when Christ came into our life. There is not this combination that is necessary. The doctrine of the Judaizers is a mixture of grace that comes through Christ Jesus and works that comes through keeping the law. And you can't keep the law and be perfect and so it was christ and then there was a trailer hitch alongside of it that said but keep the good works also very confusing to new believers especially at philippi and in fact during this time period as you saw in the uh, paul's statement to the churches of galatia he dealt with that at uh, Colossae he dealt with it at Ephesus they were creating this confusion and the Gentile believers who had come to know Christ were being confused because well my understanding was it was Christ alone but now they're coming and saying that that you also have to follow these strict mosaic laws so which is it what is it Paul made this strong warning to the church at Philippi he said listen beware 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 of this heresy In fact he called these false teachers dogs I like my dogs but that's not the way it was in the first century and I don't think we should be shocked that the Apostle Paul that he is calling these false teachers dogs these dogs Paul said these are men who do evil These are the mutilators of the flesh. In other words, after you give your life to Christ as a Gentile, then they want you to go and be circumcised too. Mutilators of the flesh is what he calls them. Now the dogs, that term was common. It was a common word for the Gentiles to use when they referred to the Jews in a derogatory manner. To the Jews, a dog was an unclean animal. A scavenger that uh, roamed the streets ate whatever the dog could in the streets to survive maybe at Sun City West we we might have used the term coyotes because as you know they roam the streets looking for whatever they can have I don't know it was either Friday morning or, or Saturday morning we caught on our cameras three huge coyotes right in our front yard just searching for what they could have a few weeks earlier, in our front yard, they caught something that they had. Paul says, "Listen, watch out for these dogs." He called these false teachers "spiritual dogs" because they were spiritual scavengers. You see, they they worked hard to make converts to their heresy. Just like city dogs would go and find scraps of discarded food wherever they can. They just search wherever they can to get that following and that convert. And he said to these believers at Philippi, these mostly Gentiles, he said, listen, watch out for these. Don't pay attention to the heresy. Don't fall into the trap. Paul was rebuking the heretical doctrine of salvation by grace plus good works. In this case good works was having to live according to the Jewish customs and to be circumcised as a Gentile listen there are those today that we could classify as Judaizers there are particular denominations or religions that say yes yes Christ plus baptism you're not baptized in you don't got it. There are those who say, yes, it's Christ, but, but it's only evidenced by some second blessing that you might have. And if you don't have that, well, then you don't have Christ. There are some who say, well, well, listen, you have to go through the sacraments. The sacraments. It's Christ, yes, but the sacraments show. You have to be cautious be careful. You have to look at what Scripture has to say. It is by grace alone the apostle paul settled that matter when he wrote to the church in ephesus in chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 he said for it is by grace you have been saved through faith not of yourselves it is a gift of god not by works so that no one can boast for we are god's workmanship created in christ jesus to do good works which god prepared in advance for us to do Paul made it very, very clear to these believers in Philippi, at Ephesus, and at First Baptist Church, Sun City West. They said, Listen, I want you to understand that you've been saved by grace, unmerited favor, something that you didn't earn. It came to you not because of yourselves, not because you were good, not because you worked harder, not because you smiled more, you were at church more that's not what it is he says listen it is by grace and then he goes on he says, it's a gift of God not by works I don't think it could be any more clear than that he said we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works and there's a difference there's a difference between the grace of God doing a new work in our life where we have life everlasting because of Christ and Christ alone and the power of His Spirit who lives inside of us to help us to accomplish the good works for the kingdom of God which embraces that compassionate care and the communication of the gospel of Christ you don't you can't do good works to earn salvation And it's not your good works that keeps your salvation. Once you've accepted Christ, that grace is with you forever. You become a child of God. And as a child of God, you can never be disinherited. You've been adopted into the family. We've talked about that during during our time in this Philippian study. He says, watch out for these these dogs these spiritual dogs these scavengers that are trying to find the weak try to take them away with heresy rather once you have experienced the grace of God once you have grown through that grace let God's Spirit teach you and guide you into your maturity where you become strong and you're about the good works that god has communicated that's why he left you here he left you here so that you might invest in this world for the kingdom of god the whole reason why jesus came so we come to this place where we understand that not only is life's greatest treasure not acquired by good works but secondly we find that life's greatest treasure cannot be earned by personal merit Paul told the church at Philippi that if anyone could be saved by merit he was first in line and yes in that sense he was being boastful because he was proud of his heritage but he said if anybody if anybody thinks that they can Get into heaven and have that grace by their merit. He said, I'm the number one guy. And he goes on to explain it. He says in verses 4 through 6, if anyone else thinks that he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, that confidence in the flesh meaning the good works, if anybody else thinks that they have better good works than me, let me show you. (coughs) He says, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of israel of the tribe of benjamin a hebrew of hebrews in regard to the law a pharisee as for zeal persecuting the church as for legalistic righteousness faultless in a very short three verses paul gives his entire resume and is a powerful resume for any jew who would say It's all by merit. You've got to follow the law. Paul recounted recounted his, uh, his personal merits, and he said, Listen, if anybody could be qualified by good works, by their line, by their heritage, by their choices, then I'm the first one in line. But, as you know, he clearly pointed out That you could not have life's greatest treasure by good works but he wanted to go on with his understanding that if there was anybody that could talking about these Judaizers I could I could outweigh them with my resume let's see what he actually meant he took pride in his Jewish heritage Uh, he lays out his Jewish credentials uh, every one of, your, uh, of his certificates, so to speak, all of his achievements, he, uh, uh, his genealogy. If you ever want to know about how to do genealogy, Bill Freeman back here, man, he wrote his family's genealogy. How many books is that? Just one really big one, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> he has done a marvelous job. I had the opportunity to look through that back, I don't know, two or three years ago. Incredible. Going back through to find the, the Freeman legacy. Uh, one of my uncles tol- told us that, uh, that he started doing a genealogy for our family and he got back to, uh, to the cowboy days, found out we had some cattle rustlers there, and he stopped. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if that's true or not, but you certainly want to watch your legacy, your, your genealogy, where you come from. But Paul. Paul says, mine is spectacular. He says, in fact, that he was circumcised on the eighth day. That meant that his parents followed the commandment that God gave Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 2. That day and time, male Gentile converts to Judaism were circumcised in maturity. The Ishmaelites in the 13th year, but the Jews were circumcised on the eighth day, according to... Genesis 17 12 and we see that even in Luke chapter 2 and verse 21 Paul said that he was not a Jewish proselyte he was pure and I like the way the King James Version used this he was out of the stock of Israel that was his stock that's where he came from AT Robertson wrote in his book Paul's joy in Christ he said He came from the original stock of Jacob, whose covenant name was Israel, according to Genesis chapter 32 and verse 28. And so he lays the foundation and said, I want you to know how pure a line I go to in my Judaism, my Jewish. And then he continues to stack higher his list of personal merits that could have qualified him for the grace of God if that indeed was the thing that brought about salvation he said I'm of the tribe of Benjamin (coughs) a Hebrew of Hebrews so he was an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin Benjamin was the son of Rachel Jacob's beloved wife he is the only son of Jacob that was born in Palestine Benjamin was the most honored in battle Benjamin was one of the two tribes that remained loyal to King David and to David's line in the midst of the divided kingdom. After the exile, Benjamin merged with Judah. And so Paul says, listen, I'm proud of my heritage. I I am a descendant of Benjamin, and you can track it all the way down in all of the qualities. So I wasn't just, just a common Jew out there. I go back to the tribe of Benjamin. It's interesting that Israel's first king was named Saul Paul's pre-conversion name was Saul there is this idea that he was a man a Jewish man from the tribe of Benjamin and a Hebrew of Hebrews Paul was a Roman citizen we saw that in Acts chapter 22 but he was from the city of Tarsus But he was a hebrew of hebrews meaning that that his parents his hebrew parents raised him according to hebrew law and language and culture which was distinct from the hellenistic or the greek jewish culture and so he says listen i i go directly to the line a hebrew of hebrews he was fiercely proud of his heritage paul eventually moved from Tarsus to Israel, and he became a Pharisee. Which means that he decided and he was dedicated to keeping the minute sections of the law in detail. He was strict in his reading of the Torah and his implementation of the Torah. All of these personal merits that I've talked about so far they all focused upon his heritage but then he kind of pivots just for a moment and from this point on we find that the things that he speaks about are of his own choosing he has this great Jewish heritage but now I want you to understand how much I chose to focus upon my Jewish heritage he was a Pharisee He was a zealous persecutor of the church, and he was a strict observer of the Mosaic law. Paul's father was a Pharisee. Paul had studied in Jerusalem under the feet of Gamaliel, who was probably the foremost Jewish teacher in Israel at that time. So he was a learned man. He made choices that helped him to become even more of, an under, uh, of, a, of a scholar in the realm of the Mosaic law. And he wanted to live that part out. As a Pharisee, he highly revered and strictly obeyed the law of Moses. His zeal for protecting the law drove him to become a persecutor of the church. He was zealous about that. He was among those persecutors, according to Acts chapter seven, that murdered Stephen, that amazing deacon. If you go back to Acts chapter twenty-six, verses ten and eleven, the apostle Paul is is sharing his testimony with King Agrippa, and in his testimony, uh, he said, "Listen." I put many of the Lord's people in prison and when they were put to death I cast my vote and then he went on to say that I persecuted them I humiliated them I punished them I did everything I could to cause them to blaspheme the name of Jesus then he said I hunted them down even in other countries this is the Apostle Paul saying listen I was so strict in my understanding and my zeal for Almighty God and his word that I did everything I possibly could to take these belonging to the way and to eradicate them that's how zealous he was that's how strict he was So not only does he have the heritage and the line, the pure line focused upon being a Jew, now he comes in with his decision to say, "I, I was a radical in this way. And as he spoke to King Agrippa, he said, but on one of my trips... On my way to Damascus, I had a life-changing experience. And it was no longer by good works. It was no longer by persecution and the zeal of the Mosaic law. It was no longer by the heritage of his bloodline as a Jew. It was the grace of God. Before Paul was saved, he was a persecutor, and after he was saved, he became the persecuted. Concerning his adherence to the law of Moses, he said, I was faultless. A.T. Robertson again said that Paul knew and practiced all the rules of the rabbis, a marvelous record scoring 100 in Judaism. That's who he was but there was a change that took place and that change that took place was his experience with Jesus and the grace of God but after listing all of these personal merits the Apostle Paul quickly points out that none of these brought the grace of God to him it was Jesus alone As far as salvation was concerned, they were worthless, all these merits. Before God, all of these things that he had done, if he laid them before the Father in judgment, said, look at all of this. He says, this is trash. It doesn't make any difference. It comes only through the grace of God. Before Martin Luther became a believer in Jesus Christ, he saw God as an angry judge who did everything that he could to put the sentence of death upon all sinners. But Luther longed to be free of the, the guilt and the condemnation that he carried, so, so he began and turned to the church and to the sacraments. Hoping to earn salvation, he, he desperately wanted Martin Luther became a monk, he fasted often, he prayed so much, in fact he even inflicted pain on his own body, trying to pay for the guilt. He went to confession so often that they say that when the other monks saw him coming, they hid themselves because it was so embarrassing. He would spend long hours confessing the most trivial sins, hoping that somehow that would bring him into the presence of God and eternity. And yet, Luther said, I found no peace. But what Luther could not obtain by his good works or even by the church he discovered as he was studying the book of Romans and he came to Romans chapter 1 and verse 17 and this is a very important statement he says as it is written the just shall live by Nowhere in there was an idea of good works. The just shall live by faith. And for the first time, he realized that that salvation was by grace alone. And that all his good works were for nothing as it pertained to his salvation. And throwing himself fully upon The grace of God, Luther was saved. He was set free from his guilt. And he set in motion the Protestant Reformation, which we ourselves are beneficiaries of. Paul said, Watch out for those dogs because it's heresy that it's the grace of God through Christ plus good works he said listen it is Jesus Christ alone that provides the grace that we need to have eternal life and then we are saved on two good works Father, as we come into our time of invitation, I pray these words speak volumes. No one should leave this place today with this idea that if I just work harder, if I just pray longer, if I just serve on more committees or teams, or if I just, uh, if I just try to follow the rules and the regulations that, that somehow... I will have the guilt taken away. God, it will never happen because we can't earn it. We could never earn it. But we thank you for providing the opportunity for salvation. We thank you for your grace, your unmerited favor, your forgiveness, your unconditional love. God, I pray there are any here today that that continue to fight that guilt That might be have been going to church for many many years but never like Martin Luther have experienced the grace that the just shall live by faith and not works that they would experience and taste that freedom today by allowing Christ to be their Savior and their Lord and for many of us here today who are believers God Help us not to feel the guilt that we have to do good works in order to keep our salvation because it is secure once and for all. But help us to be motivated to do the good works that you have prepared in advance for us to do, even in this season of our life. Help us not to be a spectator or a fan, but engaged in the work of the kingdom. And to two good works that will help People see the light and encourage people in their times of darkness. And so, God, whatever decision we need to make today as an act of worship, help us to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Stand, if you would, and let's sing our invitation
4: hymn.
0: for just a moment, please. The inside of your bulletin on the right-hand side, uh, it talks about Holy Week. And uh, I know we have numbers of new people in our congregation. And I want to tell you that when I came, uh, it'll be five years in June, I didn't understand the full concept of Holy Week. I remember when I came in March in view of a call of, of, I think it was 2000, uh, what was it, 2000? 19, 18, 18. 18, Thank you. (laughs) How quickly we we lose things. I heard about Holy Week because it was coming, and uh, I didn't fully get an understanding of it until the next year. And I tell you what, it was a powerful week. It was powerful because, um, as we look at the last week of Jesus and the Passion of Christ, and we gather together as a congregation, as we fellowship together. We're encouraged by music. And then we have amazing speakers that we know well within our congregation who come and speak to topics directly related to Jesus and Passion Week and Easter, what his mission was. It goes from 12 to 1, and in impact in that time is a very moving moment. And I hope that you will make sure and mark those days. The choir is going to, uh, to have their Easter musical at five o'clock on, uh, on the second of April, which is just two weeks away. And uh, they are working hard. And the message from this Easter musical is so powerful. And then we move into Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday from 12 to one, enjoy a light lunch, music, and then a powerful message. And Thursday, Monday, Thursday, we come back here, not at noon, but at 4 o'clock, and we focus upon the shadows of that week, the darkness, what Christ went through. And through the readings and through the uh, the observance of the Lord's Supper, and through the scriptures that are read, you leave this place in silence, longing, longing for Easter, when we come back Friday at noon and, and we focus upon the crucifixion, and then we joyfully come on Sunday and enjoy the resurrection, that whole week will move you. And I'm just asking you, please, if you've never been or if you've been before, but you've kind of forgotten, mark those dates highlight them be there and bring your friends with us and let's experience that time but this is the time to mark those calendar dates okay miss nancy
3: there's a sign-up sheet in each lobby for the movie which will be this thursday if you want to join us for lunch at 12:30, the cost is five dollars but we do need you to sign up today today's the last day to sign up for the lunch or at least by noon tomorrow so that we can order sufficient food for everyone. The flowers on the altar table today are given to honor someone who, this next Thursday, the twenty-third, will be celebrating his ninety-fifth birthday. Forrest Goff, would you stand as we sing "Happy Birthday to You"? <laughs> happy birthday! Happy birthday!
4: Happy birthday.
3: you for us. Thank you so much. And I want to express thanks to you, congregation. You have brought 3,191 Easter eggs thus far as a printing of the bulletin. There's probably more since then. But our goal is 7,500. So if you have not had opportunity to bring Easter eggs that will be used by Sante Church for a large community egg hunt, there's still time. We do need those by noon tomorrow. And then as I referenced earlier you see the amount that's been given thus for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering there's still time for you to participate in that and I pray that you will also one thing for just one thing for March individual snacks crackers and cookies and all those donations go to st. Mary's food bank we appreciate your being so generous in bringing those things and if you would like to continue that for the balance of March you certainly Would you stand now as our co-team leader for the kitchen team, Sandy Pennington, comes to lead us in our closing prayer. Please pray with me. Holy Father, we worship you, we praise you, and we thank you for the joy that is ours to claim even when facing trials, it is through you, Father, and your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we have this joy, the result of our salvation. We give you all the praise and glory, and it's in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 David, have been? Good job. Thank you, David. Excellent <laughs>
4: you,
0: too. This
4: right. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> 해요. Hey,